Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Dr. William Willoughby, the CEO of Cypress Development Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture. Venture Exchange is CYP and in the U.S. as CYDVF. Cypress Development is focused on developing its 100% held Clayton Valley Lithium Project in Nevada. The company's Clayton Valley Project is located immediately east of Albemarle's Silver Peak Mine, North America's only lithium brine operation. Exploration by Cypress has discovered an extensive deposit of leachable lithium-bearing claystone at surface adjacent to the brine field. Dr. Willoughby joins me at the recent Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us at the Silver and Gold Summit. Thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, if you don't mind, give our listeners an overview of the company. With Cypress Development Corp., our major focus is a lithium project in Nevada called Clayton Valley. We've had that project for about four years, and it's advanced very rapidly from purely exploration stage, where we staked the claims, to drilling. And in this last year, we went to a resource estimate, which we completed in March, and we just finished a preliminary economic assessment, and we've moved on now to a pre-feasibility study. So there's something very, very different about this company as opposed to other companies operating in, in the space. You're not concerned with water necessarily. It's a different type of lithium. It's not brine. Let's talk about your project specifically. Okay, well, about 60% of the world's lithium comes out of brine operations, which are like oil field brine solutions, salt solutions, which get pumped to the surface. The typical operating procedure for a lithium brine is to pump it into evaporation ponds, let those evaporation ponds sit for about two years, and then at, you concentrate the lithium, it precipitates, and then you harvest the lithium at the tail end of that and process it. What we're looking at here with Clayton Valley is a clay deposit. It's a very, very large clay deposit. Our resource estimate totals about 830 million tons of indicated material at about 860 parts per million lithium. And in an inferred category, we have another 1.1 billion tons of similar grade. So there's a substantial amount of lithium contained in this clay deposit. What we plan to do with this, referring to the water component, is we're just going to run a conventional mill with an agitated tank leach. It uses a small, smaller amount of water than you would have for a typical brine operation. Probably about one-tenth of the water to get into five or six times the amount of lithium out. And the environmental issues are not even close to what they could be. Certainly, and with this case, we don't need the land space that you do with a brine operation. The aerial space that we're going to take up with the actual production is relatively small. So the energy cost and the production cost should be substantially different as opposed to a typical brine operation, correct? Oh, well, the main difference that we have is the length of time. In a brine, you're waiting probably 18 months to 24 months to actually get the lithium out from solution. In our case, we're looking at a space of two to four hours to recover the lithium. So the throughput is higher that way. What is the strategy for the company looking forward, let's say, one to five years? Where are we going here? Well, where I am focused is trying to get this thing to production, going through the conventional route of any mining operation, which is taking it through 
engineering from preliminary economic assessment to PFS to a final feasibility study. And then we look and see if we can get the financing along the way to actually put into production. Case of uh, partnerships and financing do that. We're open as that comes along. But our main focus is trying to prove that we can do this to the market on our own. You've got the resource in the ground. We discussed that. So are there suitors at this point? Are you talking to potential offtake candidates? Is that happening now? Or are we still a bit away from that? I think we're still a little early for it. We've had some interest, expressions of interest, but we're moving forward with the project as if we're carrying it forward ourselves. My background tells me that I want to go as far as I can with this project, as far as carrying it through to production. So you intend to be a producer? I intend for Cypress to be a producer. Somebody comes along, makes us a better offer. We'll see how that goes. But for uh, my own background, we're carrying it forward ourselves. Let's talk about your background. It's quite extensive. I worked for about 18 years for a mining company, Tech Cominco, and then I went over to a smaller company, a junior company called International Nexco, which was later bought out by Denison Mines. They had a uranium project up in the Athabasca and a copper project down in Nevada. After that, I went independent for a while and came to Cyprus last year, about September. I remember we covered International Nexco back around 2006, 2007, and it did get taken out. That was quite exciting for some of of shareholders at the time. Yes, there was a pretty good, interesting discovery up in the Athabasca at Man Lake. In Cyprus, we have a sister company called Sky Harbor. Sky Harbor also has a property at Man Lake, so there's some commonality and history between us. Let's cover the share structure. We have about 70 million shares outstanding right now. We just completed a private placement of about $2 million, so we have money in the treasury, a little bit more than $2 million at the moment. That's enough to carry us through the PEFS that's going forward. We're trading at about 22 23 cents a share at the moment. I've been speaking with Dr. William Willoughby, the CEO of Cypress Development Corporation, trading a CYP on the TSX Venture Exchange and CYDBF in the U.S. at the recent Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jerome Jabour, CEO and Director of Matinas Biopharma, trading as MTMB on the New York Stock Exchange. Matinas Biopharma is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on enabling the delivery of life-changing medicines using its lipid nanocrystal LNC platform technology. Jerry, welcome back to the program. Ellis, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. Give us an overview of the company. Ellis, the last time you know we were together, we talked about what is really driving our company forward for the last couple of years, and that's a platform delivery technology, a lipid nanocrystal delivery technology, which we apply to everything from small molecules all the way to complex nucleic acid polymers in the gene therapy area, things like messenger RNA, and even gene editing technologies like CRISPR. But what I really think your audience would benefit from hearing about today is actually the product upon which this company was founded. And given some recent developments in the cardiovascular space, we find ourselves sitting on an asset which we believe has significant value to patients, but also to our stockholders. Now that it seems that omega-3s are going to be recognized as more than just supplemental therapy, they have the potential to become a driving force in the treatment of cardiovascular disease. Now, by driving force, you mean pretty much revolutionary in the space. And some of us, many of us are familiar with omega-3s, fatty acids. Why is this so crucial with regard to omega-3 as opposed to other treatments for cardiovascular issues, which uh, many families are familiar with, especially with the lifestyle that we lead here in the West. 
Yeah, Alice, that's a great question. And it's actually a question we wrestled with, or actually I wrestled with, with a colleague at a company called Reliant Pharmaceuticals, where we medicalized the first prescription omega-3. Everyone has heard about omega-3s for a long time and associated them with good health, but they traditionally thought of them as over-the-counter supplements. And so when we actually launched the first prescription omega-3 at a company called Reliant Pharmaceuticals in 2005, we had an opportunity to educate the public that we're not talking about crude fish oil here. What we're really talking about is highly purified, optimized omega-3 fatty acids. And it's those fatty acids that have the ability to regulate certain biomarkers in the body and have a positive impact on things like triglycerides, which are fat in the blood, and even on other cardiovascular biomarkers. And we took that product at Reliant called Loveza and sold it to GlaxoSmithKline in 2008 for $1.65 billion, and yet we were just scratching the surface of the potential for omega-3s. And it seems that a company called Amarin, because of its initiative and its perseverance in pushing its omega-3 through, earlier this week announced positive outcomes data. And that's really important and as you say, revolutionary in the cardiovascular space because it's a demonstration in thousands of patients that this type of therapy can have a statistically significant impact on the reduction of things like heart attack and strokes. And for years, no one wanted to believe that omega-3s could raise to the level of things like statin therapy and having such a robust impact on cardiovascular disease. But when Ameren announced yesterday morning that its drug had a 25% reduction on top of statin therapy of these cardiovascular outcomes, the world paid attention and the world rewarded and the market rewarded Ameren for its perseverance by taking its market cap up more than 300% to now over $4 billion. And I think the market actually rewarded Matinas. You only get rewarded in biotech and by your investors when you have not just relevance to a particular product category, but in our case, our legacy, our foundation in Matinas was was built on designing for the first time a drug to treat cardiovascular disease, an omega-3 to treat cardiovascular disease. And so MAT9001, which is the product that this company was started on, is benefiting from Ameren's momentum and Ameren's data. And that usually doesn't happen simply by association. And in our case, in 2015, we had the foresight and the risk tolerance to do a head-to-head study against Ameren's Vesipa, where we showed that we were statistically superior to Vesipa on four out of the six markers, biomarkers used in that study. And so investors are starting to take notice of that data and realizing that we are sitting on a potential best-in-class drug as Ameren has seen itself vault to a $4 billion market cap company. When is the strategy going forward? Where does this lead for Matina specifically? It's a great question. So essentially, we're sitting on a phase two asset, which has the profile of being a best-in-class drug. And you know, the only roadmap or the best roadmap for investors to look at is what happened with the statin market. And the statin market in the 80s was very hot. And you had a drug that Merck sold called Zocor. And Zocor was one of the best statins at the time. And it had not only good results in a phase three study, but had outcomes data, which showed a benefit. And it grew to be a multi-billion dollar product. And then you had a little product called Lipitor. And Lipitor, although it came later, than Merck's Zocor had a better profile. It was 11% more effective at reducing bad cholesterol than Merck's Zocor. And Pfizer, even in the absence of outcomes data, 
took that Lipitor product and turned it into an $11 billion a year product. So here we find ourselves decades later in very much the same position as Warner Lambert and Pfizer did. We are sitting behind a company in Ameren, which is plowing the road and is creating a new class of drugs. Some are saying that this drug is worth upwards of $5 billion a year in sales. And we're sitting there on the basis and the foundation of head-to-head -head data against that drug that shows we're 300% more effective at reducing triglycerides, that we actually have a positive effect on impacting things like PCSK9. And our profile has demonstrated head-to-head -head that it's superior than a drug the analysts today are saying is worth $5 billion. And investors are just catching on. The data is publicly available. And all of a sudden, we have an asset which is sitting and looking like it could be the Lipitor of a new omega-3 class. Which is something that could be prescribed to, let's say, people like me with a family history of heart disease and people that are over 50 and 60 years of age, correct? That's correct. I mean, you're really looking at people who have triglyceride levels over 200, who have other sort of symptoms of heart disease. And that addressable patient population is between 30 and 40 million patients in this country. It's an enormous opportunity to solve a pretty complex and important unmet medical need. So down the road, are you a takeout candidate? Ellis, in this business, you position yourself by, by driving value. And we find ourselves now in, in the optimal position of having two really distinct and valuable assets. On the one hand, we're driving our platform delivery technology forward. And on the other hand, and we're sitting on an asset in phase two that has the potential to be a blockbuster omega-3 product. We're opportunistic. We are evaluating a lot of opportunities on how to take that drug forward. You can imagine that the interest, now that Ameren has demonstrated that omega-3s can be viewed as true blockbusters and the opportunity to treat 40 million patients, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to bring in funds to either push that drug forward ourselves or take advantage of the interest of parties with substantial experience in commercializing primary care products and find the ideal partner either in the U.S. or on a global basis. So this data is new. It's fresh. It just came out yesterday morning. We're digesting it at the same time the market is, but we're excited by the opportunity we have, and we expect in the coming weeks and months that the value associated with MAT 9001 will only grow. Let's talk about the board of this company because it's pretty impressive. The one thing you look at when you see our company and our market cap, which somehow, some way is under $100 million at this point. We don't expect it to be there for long, but you don't see a micro cap or a small cap board. Chairman of our company is a guy named Herb Conrad. He's the former president of Roche, former chairman of Pharmacet. He sold that company to Gilead for $11 billion in 2011. And just recently, we're thrilled to add Patrick Lepore to our board as vice chairman. Patrick has a distinguished career in the pharmaceutical industry, a great track record of success. Most recently, he was chairman and CEO of a company called Par Pharmaceutical. He sold that to TPG and took it private in a $2 billion transaction and then stayed on as chairman and steered it to an $8 billion exit to Endo in the last few years. And so we are slowly but surely adding the pieces here to really develop this company and grow it 
into what we believe can be a, a significant value driver in the biotech and pharma space. You know, when we first met back in August and did our first interview, the company was trading at around 30 cents. I'm a little gray on that, but 30, 35, somewhere in that area. We've seen some very good moves in the market since then. And still, you're a micro cap company. You're not a mid-tier company. There's still potential upside. We don't want to speculate, but it certainly isn't a bad time to consider taking a look at Matinas. Yes, in August, that's the level that we were at. And look how far we've come in a very short period of time. And none of the things that I forecast for you there in terms of the opportunity with our delivery platform, the strategic collaborations and the interest we have from companies in utilizing our technology to improve the profile of their drugs, nor taking into effect the progress we're making on our own portfolio in the anti-infective space has really taken root yet in our share price. So we're excited by our start to the fall. There's a long way left in 2018. We expect to continue to drive news flow. We're excited by each day and week that passes because I can see through our windshield here that there's a lot in front of us. We think investors will be very happy in coming along with us for the ride. But again, we're focused on driving value and growth and creating opportunities, most importantly for patients, but also for the stockholders who believe in us. Well, Jerry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to more developments as they happen down the road. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Ellis, thanks as always. Take care and look forward to next time. I've been speaking with Jerome Jabor, CEO and Director of Matinas Biopharma, trading as MTNB on the New York Stock Exchange. Find them at matinasbiopharma.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. New Age Metals Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration, and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals, PGM deposit, the River Valley PGM project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects, of which three are drill ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. Harry, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having us back. Hellgarten Company has initiated coverage on New Age Metals, and uh, let's discuss their recent report by Christopher Ecclestone. We're happy to have Christopher write us up. Basically, I guess he's taken a, a look at the company and our projects and has come up with his initial coverage on us. I thought it was a good overview of what we're doing on each project and then kind of his, his look at, I guess, as a third party, what he thinks of our company. And what, in your opinion, stood out the most from this report? Well, I'm watching this thing every day as a CEO, but I think we pinpointed that we were a unique project in the sense that we have North America's largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit. He pointed out the fact that we're in the very beginning of completing the first economic study on the project, our preliminary economic assessment, which is slated to be done by the end of the second quarter of next year, if not before. He talked about the potential of, in terms of pricing, and this was written about a month ago, ago and he wasn't too far off. I don't know if you've noticed today, but palladium has basically reached an all-time new high and just in the last couple of days again. So the pricing of palladium and the fact that it's very hard to find here in North America, most of it comes from South Africa and Russia. We talked about our Genesis project in Alaska, the new project we have, and gave a bit of an overview of that. And then he basically tried to point out that we're 
different than most of the kind of new age metal type companies in the sense that we have two divisions and he talked about our lithium division too. So I thought it was a pretty good overview of who we are and what we would look like if somebody else was reading about us. Well, I was looking at the Palladium Expose in this report and, you know, you're right from all the precious metals right now. We can, can actually say that Palladium is really uh, has the most use from them all. It's, uh, there's less speculation involved, although speculation has driven the market and uh, with South Africa and Russia being uh, politically sensitive, North America, any finds there such as the one that you have are certainly worth taking a look at and uh, worth talking about. That's correct. You know, I think if I, you know, having in the in industry for a long time, especially the platinum group metals industry, you know, if I look back 10 years or so ago, I think people had a better understanding of what the uses of platinum and palladium were for. And I don't think many people know that about 84% of palladium's use are in auto catalysts, which essentially are in the tailpipe of your car and actually help a lot with the environment. And over the last few years, companies like ourselves have done our absolute best to develop projects to work towards to that end use. But I think what's helped us a lot is that China and Brazil and India just in the last few years have implemented the use of autocatalysts too. So it's really brought up a lot more demand for the metals. And obviously having a deposit in North America is, is quite different, as you say, than having it in Russia or South Africa. Having been to Brazil in the last year and not seeing one electric car, but many, many, many new cars there, petroleum driven. And I was thinking that the catalytic converter isn't going away anytime soon, even though I live in California in Los Angeles County, where there are a lot of Teslas, for instance, mostly Teslas and Priuses, which are hybrids. I don't have too many friends that have purely electric cars. We're not there yet. And when we are there, then, you know, lithium is, of course, uh, more interest to us. Well, that's right. I, I think it's going to be 20 to 30 years or more before they actually converge and one kind of beats out the other. It's it's a long ways down the path. I mean, it's almost a joke to think if you're in Canada that you're going to maybe start in one end of the country and drive your electric car across to the other side. I don't think it would be impossible, but you have to plan on staying in different places and maybe taking four or five times the normal time it would take to get across the country. We're a long way from one technology kind of beating out the other. And part of what a lot of people forget is that platinum group metals are also precious metals. And we've had a little bit of an increase in the price of gold in the last few weeks, too. And of course, that all, all helps both platinum and palladium, too. So what are the next steps with regard to platinum and PGMs? with New Age Metals? Well, we're involved in a very exciting study now, our first economic study on a project that's had over $45 million spent on it. Our River Valley project has basically three engineers that are uh, working on engineering consulting companies working on this economic study. The one that did our resource calculation that was published in the spring still has some involvement and a company called P&E are heading up the project and then we have another company called DRA who are working with them to complete this study. We're telling our shareholders that we plan to have it done for sure by the end of the second quarter of next year, and we're working as diligently as we can to get it done. It's a process. There's literally $45 million worth of expenditures that have to be taken into consideration and put into an economic study, and then that's ongoing. We'll probably have an update to our shareholders on it in the next week or two. On the site itself, we've done two rounds of geophysical work and another big one this year, and we're out there with a 
permit we've got recently using both a bulldozer and a, and a backhoe, and we're stripping some of the areas the geophysics pointed out to. We're lucky in this area. Many of the new geophysical targets actually report to surface, so with a little bit of soil removed, we can get right into that fresh rock and take samples. And so that's what's happening on the site right now. There'll be two or three months of that. That's all going to add up to a new drill program that'll probably be three-phase, and it'll probably be implemented maybe starting late this 219 in the winter or early spring. But our main focus is on completing this preliminary economic assessment or the first economic report on the project. Following that, we would do a pre-feasibility and then a feasibility study. That's what's happening on River Valley. Our lithium projects are moving ahead. We have two drill applications in, and we're going to have some exciting news out over the next couple of days about what's happening both on the projects and some of the field work we've done and where we are in regards to our drilling permits. And eventually, we want to get out drilling one of these projects before the end of the year. And of course, you have that JV with Asencourt Energy. That's correct. The beauty of the financing for our lithium division is it is financed through an option joint venture arrangement with another uh, company called Azencourt Energy, and they're funding not only this year's, but kind of the go-forward plan over the next couple of years. And the budget for this year is $600,000. So we're basically wrapping up over the next couple of weeks our field work that we've done on several of these projects. For the listeners, we have eight lithium projects. Most of them are all road accessible just out of the city of Winnipeg, uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 kilometers north and northeast of Manitoba, which is Winnipeg. And we have a top geologist who's a lithium specialist, and we've been basically identifying a series of different projects and putting some drill locations on uh, two of them, and we have drill permits in, and so we'll have a release out here probably next week on the updates of what's happening on those properties. So we're hoping to be drilling on one of them before the end of the year, and uh, the beauty of these projects is we can drill in the winter months there, too. What's your take right now on the energy market with regard to uh, lithium? It's, it's been rather sluggish lately, and you know we can blame that on uh, J.P. Morgan Chase uh, or not. What are your thoughts, and why is now potentially a fantastic time to take a look at getting involved in a company such as New Age Metals? Well, uh, the lithium industry is, is not going away. I think we had a major surge in 16 and 17 that put a lot of companies like us basically into the business, and we went out and found ourselves a top geologist in that sector and then acquired basically the largest land base in this famous Winnipeg River pegmatite field. Again, for the listeners, we're looking for pegmatites. In the pegmatites, we need a mineral called spodumene, and within that, we would find our lithium and other rare metals. I think it's a time where most of the junior industries, junior mining exploration has kind of been in a bit of a slump simply because other investments like, and in Canada here especially, the marijuana industry really heated up this fall and, and took a lot of the uh, investment dollars maybe away from the mining industry. But the world is busy right now. There is no doubt in my mind that minerals are being used in a way, in a, in a manner, and at a, at a speed that is almost unprecedented on a worldwide basis. Uh, all the construction companies are busy, uh, housing, large buildings are being built, and then obviously the car industry, which uses a whole lot of our platinum group metals and lithium, uh, is quite busy too. So I, I just think it's a time where very soon money 
money is going to come from other sectors and kind of come back into our industry. When you look at investing in, in the uh, mining industry, really it's it's about timing and it's really about the price that you are able to come in and purchase shares in the industry. And I think with what's happened lately and the demand that seems to be coming and the price of palladium and, and lithium staying very strong, I think it's a very good time to be looking at this sector. Absolutely. The demand has not diminished. It has increased and the equities have not been able to uh, absolutely match that demand yet. I see a buying opportunity in my opinion. I agree 100%. I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. I'm Ellis Martin. Rob McEwen is the chairman and chief owner of McEwen Mining. McEwen Mining trades on the New York Stock Exchange and the TSX as MUX. Mr. McEwen is the founder and former chairman and CEO of Gold Corping which is one of the largest gold producers in the world. In 1990, Rob jumped from the investment industry into the mining industry. By 1993, he had begun a consolidation of five companies that would take eight years to complete. The resulting company was Goldcorp, which has become a gold mining powerhouse. During the last 13 years of Rob being Goldcorp's CEO, the company's market capitalization grew from $50 million to over $8 million, and its share price grew at a compound annual rate of 31%. Join me now for a conversation with Mr. McEwen at the recent Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. Rob, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ellis. Great to be here. Now, this event has been going on for several years. Of course, it moved to San Francisco from Spokane several years ago. And the sector has been tight for those of us who have been with it forever. And me as a journalist, it's been my opinion that you really can't sell a fear story anymore because how many times can you cry wolf? You can't do it very much. So gold has to be something that everybody has to own, not just as a safe haven because people do that. Because in my opinion, when the end of the world collapses, who cares? It's all going to be about food and water and what have you. Everybody should own gold because it's shiny, it's fun to look at, it's great for jewelry, it will not devalue, and it's currency, and you can't tell me that you can't hand somebody 20 rounds and they won't give you their car, for instance. It's just the way to go, and if we don't do that outside of the sector, affecting the 99.15% of the population that is not involved in the sector, then it will never turn around. What's your opinion, sir? Well, gold is a safe haven People aren't looking for a safe haven today. Governments got us thinking that any crisis, they'll bail it out. They'll make money available. And we've had just a huge expansion in the monetary base. Debt levels have gone up, but interest rates are low. So we can buy houses, we can buy cars, we can buy any number of assets inexpensively. But the broad market's taken off. And it's hit terrific gains based on this cheap money. The gold market, on the other hand, we have just gone through the longest and deepest bear market in the last 77 years. And so the downside risk there is low. And if you look at the past bull markets for golds, from where we are today, and I believe we're in the early stages of a bull market, most people aren't seeing it, but we're already up about 100% since the beginning of 2016. And from here, we're in the seventh bull market. Of that, the six preceding bull markets, four of them went up from bottom to top, 600% or better. So we're up about 100% since the beginning of 16. There's a 67% probability we'll see a 3x from here on the, the gold equities. I understand that because the disparity between the equities and the, and the physical metal is huge. And I don't disagree with you. How are we going to get there, sir? Well, there's a rotation out of the broad market, out of the profits into a neglected part. 
We're already seeing that movement. We're about a third of the way through a normal cycle. And it, well, I'll just give you an example. There's a little chart. The S&P is up 32% since the beginning of 16. The Dow is up 43% since in that same period. Our stock, McEwen Mining, is up over 100%. And we're not alone. There are a number of other mining stocks up by that. And you say, all right, well, give me another example. If I look at the last three months, the market is now responding to drill results, whereas six months ago it wouldn't have done anything. And in the presentation, I'm showing six stocks that have moved in the last three months between 50 and 500% gains. Now, what we're seeing in the broad media does not cover gold. They think it's an asset that should be forgotten about and there's no relevance today. But when you're getting less than 5% on your bank account and you can see 50 to 500% gains occurring in three months, it might attract more people in that direction. And I just think we're going to see a migration of investors into the sector and that will drive the gold price. The volumes have dried up on these stocks. Most of the selling is done, if not all of the selling. There are short positions on most of the gold stocks and that is fuel to the fire. So when limited volume, new buying comes in, it moves the price up, the shorts cover, it goes a little higher and then the world starts getting attracted to this sector. We have geopolitical issues going on around the world. We have currencies falling, like the Turkish Lira, the Argentinian peso, the Mexican peso. They're falling against the dollar in a very meaningful way, and that is creating all sorts of problems financially in those countries, because they borrowed in dollars, and now their currencies have fallen against the dollar, so their debt loads have increased dramatically over what they were. Hasn't the dollar traditionally been an opposing player with regard to gold, though? And you've just sold me on the dollar and gold at the same time, actually. But those two conflicting methods of doing transactions have never ultimately been good for gold except for these countries. And, and then again, you have Russia and China, always in India, they're buying gold. But yet it has not been reflected in the equities yet. So what is that trigger going to be? Or do we need a trigger or is it going to keep happening organically as you've suggested? The gold market's cyclical. It's like a lot of commodities. You're going through these waves of 9 to 11 years. Bottom to peak to bottom again. So what is going to trigger it? I can't really say. It's often driven by excessive levels of debt, financial distress, lack of confidence in a currency. You mentioned Ellis. Like the currencies I mentioned, the Turkish Lira, the Argentinian Peso, they lost confidence in those currencies. Will there be a day when they lose confidence in the dollar? A lot of these countries were betting on it, and that's why they're in the problem right now, because they borrowed in dollars and they have to repay, but the dollar's gone up against it. I'm a big believer that when you have excessive debt levels by government corporations and individuals, there comes a day of reckoning much like the mortgage market happened in 08, setting off the global financial crisis 09. So you're saying that day of reckoning will come, but you're not going to say when. I wouldn't ask you to say when, but it is coming in your opinion. It's coming. And the world is awash in money. I mean, recently there was a bottle of wine, 750 milliliters, a standard bottle of wine that went for just under half a million dollars. It was a 1945 bottle, Romani Conti. You see real estate prices going to the moon, contemporary art, boats, yachts. They're all expressions. The prices have moved up so dramatically. Money's looking for a home. 
It went into cannabis. It went into cryptos. It went into the fang. There's a point where the buying stops and it comes down and they look for other areas that haven't been bought for quite a while. What are you doing differently now than what you were doing in, let's say, 2007, 2008? What I mean by now is not necessarily 2018, but the last two or three years. How has your methodology changed? We've been building our company. Our goal is to qualify for the S&P 500. And I believe there's a strategic advantage to that. 80% of all the money in public companies in America are in the, the S&P 500 companies. And the capital markets have changed dramatically in that period you talk about. There's more and more of the daily trading volume is accounted by passive investment vehicles, indexes, and ETFs. Well, Newmont is the only gold stock in the S&P 500. After 9-11, all the foreign companies were removed from the S&P 500. So you have to be an American company to be in the S&P 500. We're a Colorado incorporated company and we're one of a handful. There's 99% of all the precious metal producers in the world can't get into the S&P 500. So Newmont, who's there, enjoys a lower cost of capital than most of the industry has a more stable shareholder base than most of the industry. And when the American public starts moving back into gold, it will be the first stop for their investment because more than 50% of the daily volume is passive vehicles. So you're in the largest market for gold shares in the world. And Newmont right now, if you took its market cap, compared it to the aggregate market cap of the S&P, it's seven one hundredths of 1%. And there have been times in the past when it's been 2 or 4%. Your timing, when you arrive in the S&P, do you think that will be similar to the timing of the turn in the, in the bull market? Will it take that or will you arrive there before that, in your opinion? Well, I, I'd love to be there before. Part of my issue is how do you put two companies together and preserve the value for both groups of shareholders? Often in when you're doing uh, M&A, one group is paying a large premium to bring in another group. So... There's a nominal premium, but the target gets paid a premium and the acquirer loses value. So you end up flat. What are the targets like now compared to 2011, 2012, 2013? How's that landscape different? Is it more interesting for you? The best time to have bought was summer of 2015. We were tied up. The SEC was asking us about our copper project and we couldn't do anything then. But that was the time, the ideal time to buy. That would be the bottom, but no one catches the bottom all the time. So now is still a good time. I think with the prospect of 3x potential from here, one should be buying, building a portfolio of gold stocks right now. What's happening with McEwen Mining during the next six months to 12 months? Well, we're uh, bringing a new mine in production in Nevada, our gold bar mine. It should be operational in the beginning of next year. We've had a very aggressive exploration program. This year, we've done about $22 million. 15 of that has been in Canada in the Timmins property we bought last October. We've had very encouraging results there. So I'd watch for resource updates, new production. And in Mexico, we're looking to stretch the mine life by 12 years. What are some of the more interesting questions you're getting from shareholders that get to your desk? They want to know when we'll be in the S&P 500, where the price of gold is going. And I often say, well, I have a $2,000 number and ultimately $5,000 number for gold. And they're asking what other companies one might want to buy. Right now, the mood has been so negative for gold. It's sort of like walking into a candy shop right now. Alyssa, just want to 
review a couple of broad market items. One, if you look at, create some charts looking at the S&P index divided by the XAU, which is the senior golds. Right now, we are above the levels of the tech bubble of 1999. We're probably 30% above those levels. So we're in pretty high territory historically. So the downside exists. If you look at commodities, we're at a 48-year low commodity value relative to equity, according to Goldman Sachs. Our bear market, there's been eight of them. We just came out of the longest, deepest bear market in the last 77 years. If you look to bull markets during that period, we're into the seventh, but four of them have gone up 600% or more from bottom to top. Our own performance, we've tripled the performance of the S&P since the beginning of 2016. We're more than double the Dow and we're not alone. There are a number of other gold stocks have done the same. Our performance, if you're going to buy a gold indice like the GDX or the GDXJ, we've significantly outperformed them and that's because our beta is 2.9 times which is one of the highest according to Bloomberg in the entire gold industry. In the past three months, people are going to start paying attention to the type of gains that are seeing up 50 to 500%. If we were to compare insider ownership, there are very few companies in the metal space that have the same ownership that I have, 24% of the company. My cost base is $161 million on that interest. In terms of compensation, we're picturing here about 15 companies, seniors, their CEOs as a group, they've received just under $700 million in compensation from 2010 to 2017. My salary is a dollar a year, so over that same period, I got an increase up to a dollar two years ago, so I've made two or three dollars in that same period of time. Compensation, no option, no bonus. And in terms of performance, given all that pay, you would think they'd have really good performance, but we go from negative 90% up to negative 21 before we get to us, and we were just down 2% during that same period, 2010 forward. Not that I'm proud of being down 2%, but it shows that some of that discipline we have, we're not diluting our shareholders by excessive share issue. And in terms of trading volume, we're well above our peers in terms of average trading volume. 95% of our trade takes place on New York. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today in the program. It's a pleasure to see you again. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alice. Delight to be here. I've been speaking with Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, trading as MUX on the New York Stock Exchange and on the TSX at the Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Brent Cook of ExplorationInsights.com at the recent Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's been a while. Brent, where's the love right now in the gold and silver market? Early stage discoveries, and that's about it. Okay. Uh, enlighten us. The savvy investor that's listening to the program right now, point us in the right direction. Fundamentally, the mining industry is not finding enough economic deposits to replace what they're mining. That's true mostly across the board particularly in the gold space and copper space. What I've noticed is, although there's not much money in this sector and it's not behaving very well, the major mining companies are putting more and more money into early stage exploration projects and companies either via placements or joint ventures. That tells me they're waking up to the fact that they don't have enough to cover what they need. Are we seeing what happened in 2013, 2014, 2015 with the majors or are we seeing more of it? I think we're going to see more and they're going to be coming down the food chain. There's not that many good projects drilled out ready to go that they can buy, in my opinion. 
I mean, there's a lot of marginal deposits. There's not a lot of high quality. So companies that are starting to look like they've got a nice high-grade discovery, they're really rocking and they're bringing in, you know, majors to put money in. So really, grade is more important than ever at this point. Bulk and size doesn't matter as much as grade and size? In a sense, it's grade, but it's really about economics. It's about what's the profit margin going to be. I mean, I can point you to a 10-gram deposit that lose money and a 0.5-gram deposit that makes lots of money. It's more than just grade. It's about what is the actual cost of mining, capex, et cetera, going to be for a mining company to come in and put it in production. Infrastructure, weather, money, team. Locals, politics, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so what do you like right now? I mean, what are your kind of your favorites in this market? We own a lot of, I own, uh, personally, and, and through Exploration Insights, which is basically what we're buying, Joe and I are buying with our money. Uh, we own a lot of Miracel, that's MRZ. We own GT Gold. Uh, we've done well on that, but we're holding that. We own a lot of Evram Resources, which has done exceptionally well. And both GT and Evram Resources are at the stage right now where I'm not suggesting buy, but watch the results. If they confirm what we think might be there, these things could do really well. Now, we've had some really great results with some of the companies in this market, and you might see a pop for a couple of days or two, or you might see selling against the news. You might invest in the company per se. If you have somewhat of a trader mentality, you're going to lose in the short run, but you may win in the long run. So it is a tough market. Let's talk to some new investors and let's talk to people who've been in the market right now who don't want to get burned. What would you remind them or what would you say to these folks? I'd say this is a really complicated sector. Geology and mining are not easy. So many things can go wrong and so few things can go right that what we've seen is a lot of companies' share prices just rocket up two, three, four times over a period of a week and three, four weeks later, a month later, completely collapse. It's because you've got to find the fatal flaw in these things as soon as you can. And quite honestly, I think unless you're technically involved in this sector, you need help. And that's what we do at Exploration Insights. How can you become a subscriber if you're not one already? It's real simple. It's a monthly subscription. It's about what Joe and I are doing with our money in this sector. Nobody pays us to say anything. We say what we want. ExplorationInsights.com is the website. You can try it for a month, see everything we've ever written, bought, and sold. And if it doesn't work, cancel after a month. Brent Cook, thanks so much for joining me here at the Silver and Gold Summit. Good to see you again. I've been speaking with Brent Cook of ExplorationInsights.com at the Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They've paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.